Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Health with the Healthy Attorney. I'm your host, Sophia N.S. Blair, author, attorney, and avid health advocate. Let's get started. On today's episode, we'd like to welcome Renette Romaine. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's a co-founder of Reveille Mental Health and Wellness LLC. She has 12 years of experience with psychotherapy and social work, and she specializes in psychotherapy with a focus on depression. Welcome, Raynette. Hi. Hi, Sophia. Thanks for having me. I'm going to share something with you, and then we are going to use that to discuss depression in detail. Sounds good. Prior to having depression, I was someone who knew nothing about depression. I didn't know how crippling it could be. I was unaware that it was a real illness. Um, but now <laughs> I am fully aware of that. Um, I'll start at the beginning. So about five months ago in November, I started to feel not like myself. I just started to feel very different, very self-critical, very doubtful of myself. I mean, you know, we all have our insecurities, but this was something else. And then I started to not sleep. And I think that this is when things really took a turn for the worse because it had been a week that I didn't sleep at all. I started to not eat. I just lost my appetite completely. And I ended up losing when I was at my smallest, I ended up losing 40 pounds. I went to the doctor because I wasn't sleeping and it was starting to affect my everyday life, as you can imagine. And he prescribed me something. I didn't know what depression was two weeks ago and now I'm being prescribed by antidepressants. So I just started to panic and then with no sleep and not eating and my anxiety really started to come into place. So I, um, started to have really, really bad thoughts. And so my mom started to get really worried. As you can imagine, I just felt so guilty about everything. And um, that's when my emotions started to disappear. So I was surrounded by family, all these people that loved me, all these people that I loved, and I couldn't feel anything for anyone. My children, I would look at them and I wouldn't feel anything. And it really started to get to me. I felt empty. I felt so, so terrible and I just blamed myself. I just felt like you're a horrible person. You don't have any emotions. You don't love anyone. Like you're, I just felt terrible and I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't take care of my kids. I wouldn't sh shower, I'm being very honest. I wouldn't shower, I wouldn't eat. I just wouldn't do anything and it was, dark times everyone kept telling me focus on yourself focus on getting better like everything will be fine the kids will be fine but i couldn't like not i couldn't like i couldn't focus on myself like so we i went to the hospital and i ended up staying in the hospital for um two and a half weeks um and that was honestly when my depression started to take a turn for the best Okay, Renette, so hearing that, can we talk a little bit about what depression is and what it entails? 
Absolutely. And that was a very intense description coming from someone who experienced depression. And so like Sophia said, my name is Raynette and I am a social worker, licensed clinical social worker. And my experience with depression is both personal and it's also something that I've studied and something that I treat uh, my patients and my clients for. So depression, when you think about it and when you envision it, it may look like, you know, sadness, maybe someone who's lonely, constantly crying, almost like befriending pain is what it would look like. But it's um, different for everyone. And sadness is a part of it but it also entails other symptoms. And there's different tiers of depression where there's depression that's uh, temporary. So you have episodes of depression, which everyone experiences. And then you have depression that can go on for two weeks or more. And once you cross over to two weeks or more, then it becomes a clinical depression, which we call major depressive disorder. So when you're in this depressed state, is it like what was discussed in the, in the clip? Is it your thoughts that are causing you to feel helpless or is it your environment? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so contributing factors to depression uh, can be a combination of things. Your thoughts, absolutely. Uh, the thoughts can be crippling. Your environment, absolutely, can be a part of it. But there's also other components of um, contributing factors to depression, and some of it is genetics. So if you come from a long line of family with mental illness or mood disorders or a history of depression themselves or even drug addiction, then you there's a higher risk of you um, experiencing depression. And as I said earlier, there's the situational piece. So there's temporary depression. And then there's the chemical piece where it's more genetics and long-term. So how can I tell if one day I'm feeling uh, unlike myself, how can I tell if this is going to be a short-term or if it's going to be long-term, if it's something, well, if I don't know, I guess that's where knowing your family history comes into play, right? Yes. So how would you know? Some of the questions when we're assessing depression, and you can do self-assessments with depression too, Some of the questions you want to ask yourself is, how do I feel in this moment? Um, Is there something that happened, right? So a triggering event. Ask yourself, when did I start feeling this way? And what happened around that time? What was going on in my life, right? So you might say, um, I recently lost a loved one. You might say there is a major life change, such as losing my job or a breakup or a divorce. Um, You might say your child left uh, for college or an event. Just think of an event that took place. 
if you find that there's really no event, um, start asking yourself questions like, how am I feeling? So you might find that there's an appetite change. You might find that your sleep patterns have been off. So ask yourself these questions. What about my social life? Um, am I withdrawing from others or is it still very active? How's, how's my energy levels? And ask, get your family involved too and ask them, has there been any changes in you? If it's a situational, just expect that it may be short term, but you do need to start acting on it. If it's anything outside of situational depression, then you need to start digging deeper in terms of asking yourself the questions that I presented earlier. And what, when you say get your family involved, what can your family do when you're in that state? Ooh, um, the biggest thing with um, family involvement or social support involvement is them first understanding and also engaging in the assessment. So families are good sources for defining your baseline and also helping you see if you're far away from your baseline. And when I say baseline, what I mean is, how are you when you are balanced? Okay, so when there's nothing going on, you're at your normal state, how are you? So uh, families helping you assess by telling the person, hey, I noticed that you're usually very happy, very um, sociable, and all of a sudden I've noticed that you're um, isolating or you're withdrawn. You might say, I noticed that you haven't taken a shower um, in two days, and this person might be someone who enjoys taking showers three to four a day. They might say that I've noticed that you haven't really been eating anything, or maybe you called out of work or haven't been going to school or haven't been engaged with um, us. So try to, families can definitely help in assessing baseline and assessing if there are signs of depression. Another thing that families can do is educate themselves about depression. If it's ongoing, start to understand um, what the symptoms in, entail. Learn more about depression based on your loved one and how they're experiencing it. So is there anything beyond helping to assess that families and friends can do to maybe help the person get out of a depressed state? Absolutely. So be supportive. Being there, being present, being a listening ear, that's a major one. Sometimes you have to push family members. So you might find that they really don't want to do anything. Maybe they've been isolated in home for days in the dark. You might have to go over, turn on all the lights, say, hey, get up, you know, let's get out, eat some food, encourage them to get back uh, to some form of activity. You, so the emotional support is there lending an ear, right? Creating a safety plan, which is a big one in the mental health realm. And what a safety plan is, is you and your loved one who's suffering depression, you sit together when all is well, and you talk about the different symptoms that they experience. There's internal um, symptoms, which I like to think of as symptoms that no one else can really see. And then there's external symptoms, which we all can see. So internal would be perhaps racing thoughts, perhaps um, intense feelings of sadness, um, extreme worry, maybe the self-harm thoughts or the suicidal thoughts, anything that 
others cannot see. The external could be what we see, such as you're isolating, you're sitting in a dark room, there's a decline in the activities that you usually enjoy doing, right? So we get together, we form this safety plan. And the agreement is when I start to feel the internal, I speak up about it. When you as my loved ones start to see the external, you come and you check me, you tell me, hey, I noticed that this is what's going on. What can we do to get back on track? And also a part of that agreement is you have to respond even if you don't want to. Loved ones might also have to initiate hospitalization. In Florida, we call it a Baker Act, and it's where there's involuntary hospitalization where you're forced to get treatment and you're in a setting where you're safe, you have professionals there with you, you'll have access to hands-on support, you'll have access to getting rest and food, and it'll remove you from your normal environment, which may be a cause of depression. Family members can also be active in your uh, medication adherence. So if you're prescribed medication, it's check to see if you're taking the medication as prescribed. Count the pills if you need to. Sometimes it, it requires you being intrusive to make sure that your loved one is, is doing well. Now, would you say that the Baker Act would be a last resort or is that something that should be considered early on when you're doing the safety plan? Baker Act should definitely be a part of the safety plan, but we're going to say let it be the last resort. Because going into an inpatient setting can be intense. It can be uh, traumatic for some, but definitely um, a last resort. However, if you see that your loved one's not responding to your cues, you might want to jump into Baker Act early on to prevent them from getting worse. What would that plan look like? What would be action items on that safety plan? Okay. Some action items would be identifying the symptoms. So let's say you come to me because you're the first to notice some internal signs, right? Some internal risk factors. You might say, hey, I've been tossing and turning, unable to sleep, and this has been going on for the last one or two days. So my response as your loved one would be, all right, have you been taking your medication? Um, I want to get into asking questions and also checking, right, for backup, counting the pills and asking additional questions like, have you been sleeping? Have you been having suicidal thoughts? Whenever you hear suicidal thoughts, you do want to jump into getting a professional involved because suicidal thoughts is a major part of the depression. Some other actions for safety planning is getting, if it's you who's suffering with depression, you want to get as many people on your safety plan as you can. So if I have five people listed as a safety contact, if I call person one and they don't answer, then I have person two to call. If person two doesn't answer, then I can go to person three. You also want to include law enforcement. So if I can't reach any of my loved ones, or if they direct me to reach out to law enforcement, then that'll be an action that you implement as well. Some of the other things is an action plan could be, I'm going to take a walk with you. I'm going to commit myself to being around you so that you feel safe. If I have to sleep next to you every night, I'm going to make sure I do that daily check-ins or consistent check-ins throughout the day are also action plans. And so how do you monitor if, let's say we're, we're at the beginning stage before they've seen a professional 
before they've gotten medication. How do you create an action plan in the beginning state and how do you monitor to know if they're getting better or worse? That's a really good question. Pay attention. Remember earlier we spoke about the baseline, right? Mm -hmm. So early on, you want to pay attention to your loved one. What has changed with them? If there's an activating event, such as like recently, perhaps this person have given birth because postpartum depression is a big one, right? Or maybe um, a loss of a loved one or they lost their job. Sometimes it's not any of those things, but you want to pay attention to how they are. Are they less social? Are they more fatigued? Um, are they more pessimistic in terms of very being very negative? Are they less engaging or less involved? Look at all of these things. If there's any bit of change in your loved one based on how you know them to be, then you want to start asking questions. Hey, what's going on? Um, I noticed that you've been a bit withdrawn. How are you feeling? Is everything okay? Don't always take their word for it because there's the guilt piece and the shame piece, all because you feel weird. You know something's going on, but you don't really understand what it is. So they may not know how to express what's going on. If you notice that the change is persistent, like it continues over a few days period of time or two weeks, which is the key number, you want to get professionals involved. So you can reach out to a therapist. Um, you can reach out to law enforcement and have them Baker acted as we discussed. But you want to jump into some form of action to make sure that safety is secured. Okay, so at that point, once you start asking the questions, nothing seems to be changing. At that point, you do want to reach out to a professional. Absolutely. Okay. Is there a way to know that you've healed from depression? There's really no way to know that you've healed from depression. Depression is one of those sicknesses or mental illnesses that is with you for forever. And there's ways to treat it and maintain a healthy balance. However, getting rid of it and, you know, in terms of curing it, there's no way that you can cure depression. How do you know that you're getting better? If you've started on medication, uh, people around you, including yourself, will start to feel a difference. You might feel more clear-headed. You might feel that you have a boost of energy. You might feel that you've returned to um, your activities of enjoyment with no issue. You might feel that you're less weary in terms of uh, there's no more procrastination. Um, you actually want to get things done. So returning to your baseline is kind of the way that you know that you're getting better. You're, you're getting back to your usual self. However, that's a bit tricky and I'll tell you why. When individuals start on medication and they become stable, both the individual and the family have this perceived notion that they no longer need the medication. And that's where things start to happen, where it's not good. So if you notice that your loved one is getting better, maintain the medication. The medication is the reason that they've gotten better. It's not the reason why they should discontinue the medication. What happens is relapse takes place. And whenever people hear relapse, they automatically think substance, but there's also relapse in mental health. 
Um, and what that means is you're declining in your mental health. And there might be a very long and slow process. And you won't know until you start seeing the signs of regression again. So stay on the medication. That's a big one. Okay. And also get your medical providers involved. So before you decide to get off medication that's helping you to get better, get them involved and say, hey, I no longer want to take medication. What can I do? And you guys together can come up with a plan on how to taper off of the meds in a safe way or how to switch the meds so that you're more comfortable taking whatever you're taking. In addition to the medication, some people aren't on medication for the depression. There's lifestyle changes. There's a shift in your environment, right? There's you activating behaviors to help with your depression. Once you start to get in the groove of things and you start to feel a difference, you'll know that you're getting better. But as far as curing yourself of depression, if it's clinical depression, there's really no cure in that. But lifestyle changes, depending on what your medical team says, can help. Absolutely. Lifestyle changes can help. Is there any final point that you want to make on this topic? So in terms of depression, depression is real. There's certain communities where depression is uh, tabooed and um, it's a stigma. But when you feel different, that's one of the early signs to possibly having depression or when you feel weird or when you feel crazy, when you, when you're comparing yourself to others, which I don't recommend that at all, but when you're comparing yourself to others and you see that there's a a vast difference, then you do want to start taking action and educating yourself. Yes, you can do a lot of self-education, but getting professionals involved is major. And another big thing is uh, with treatment of depression, if you have relapses in mental health, it becomes harder to treat the depression. What does that mean? So once you, let's say you start medication and you're doing well, stay on the medication. The less relapses you have, the more likely you are to sustain positive mental health. Another thing is depression is the leading cause of disability. So you have physical disabilities and then you have mental disabilities and depression is primary in that. So depression is real. And my encouragement would be speak about it. Talk about what's going on with you. Get others involved. Try to figure out if it's actually depression or not because one of the darkest sides of depression is self-harm and suicide. Once you go there, it feels hopeless. And there's a large percentage, 45, 45% of people who've committed suicide have had depression or some form of mental illness that went untreated and unnoticed. So take care of yourself. Thank you so much, Raynette. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sophia, for having me.